with that, we are going to jump in to the Word of God. If you're a guest here, we have been working our way through the gospel story. We are in week 37, which I thought would be like all the weeks. We're not halfway. We're in week 37, working through the gospel. And before I jump into the Word today, I want to share with you a couple verses. Actually, I'm going to jump into the Word. But before I jump into our main text, which is going to be in Matthew chapter 10, if you want to open up to that. But there's a couple verses I want to share from John, which is way later in the gospel chronology. But it's a part of a prayer that Jesus prays for his followers. And not just his followers then. It says earlier in the prayer that he's praying for them and everyone who will come to know him through their ministry, which is you and I and every other Christian in the world. It's known as the high priestly prayer. And it was one of the main texts that I studied a lot in college when I was studying to be a youth pastor because we would talk a lot about, like, what are we getting ourselves into? And when you look at the prayer of Jesus for his disciples, it tells you what you're getting yourself into. He says, he's praying, he says, I do not ask that you, talking to his father, take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. One of the books that I read in college was one of my favorite books that I've ever read. It's called Fearless Faith by a guy named John Fisher. And he's interacting with this prayer And he says, he, Jesus, doesn't intend for us to be removed from the world, but to be protected in the middle of it. He doesn't want us removed from danger. He wants us surrounded by danger on every hand, but safe from the evil one. It is the will of God to leave us in the world and meet us with all the provisions and protection we need to be here and be involved in the world. Anything short of this is less than what God intends for us. Now that may be a difficult message for some of us when we immediately say, I like my safe bubble. But I have to tell you, that was never the intention of Jesus. To put us into a safe bubble. To make sure that we only hang out around Christians and go to a Christian mechanic and get our hair cut by a Christian barber. This was not what we were meant to do. He says, I'm sending you into the world, and I want to protect you from the evil one, but you are going to be amongst the world. And as we continue the story we started last week with Jesus sending his disciples out to be apostles, ones who were sent out, we're going to see this in action. Last week, we started the story. This week, we're going to explore the rest of this discourse This is the second major sermon or discourse that Jesus gives in the book of Matthew. The first one was the Sermon on the Mount, just kind of in general talking about how to live as a Christian. But this one is maybe you could call the Sermon of the Mission to those who he is sending out into the world. And so we're going to look at this, but I want you to see as we work through this, he's going to say some things that might be difficult for us, and he gives us a warning He gives us a command, and then he gives us a promise. And we're going to see these things throughout the whole chapter. Matthew 10, 16 through 25 is what we're going to read right now. 
And this is kind of where he gives us the warning of the danger of the world. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all of the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? The very first thing we read here is difficult for some people to understand. It's difficult for us to grasp, but Jesus says, I'm going to send you out to be sheep amongst wolves. A sheep amongst wolves is not a fair fight. A sheep amongst wolves is an easy target. And yet he tells us, you're going to be like sheep amongst the wolves of the world. He's letting us know, he's letting them know, and through them us, that there will be persecution in this world if you go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. If you proclaim the kingdom of God, there will be persecution. And he says, so be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Right? Think about a dove. A dove is pretty harmless, right? Not a lot of attack things. Not, not, they don't have giant talons, right? They're not a bald eagle. They're a dove. If you get your hands on one, it's over. It says, be harmless as the doves, but be wise as the serpent. If the serpent is in danger, he just slithers out, just kind of goes out, goes another direction. He has wisdom. And he says, beware of men, for they deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Jesus tells them, not only is there going to be persecution from people, but it's going to come from men, from your own brethren that will hand you right over to the courts. They will flog you, which is, is whipping you. They will drag you before governors and kings, which we read that and we think, well, yeah, we've, we've read the story, but when he's talking to these guys, these just totally normal dudes from Galilee, and he says, you're going to be standing before governors and kings, they're probably like, what? I'm not, I'm not going to stand before governors and kings. And Jesus says, you don't know. You don't know what's coming. And Jesus tells them they'll be drugged into synagogues. Not only will persecution come from outside, but it will come from their own people, from the Jewish brethren. The people that they are trying to reach with the gospel may, may drag them into synagogues and flog them or beat them. Even your own people will turn against you. But then he says, but in this you will bear witness to the gospel. 
you will bear witness to the power of God and it will lead to an opportunity to speak the truth to these same people who are persecuting you. And again, in verse 19, 20, it says, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious about how you're to speak or what you're able to say, for you will be given what to say in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks through you. This is an interesting little couplet right here because I've heard people make a claim that what this is saying is you don't need to know the Bible all that well. You don't need to worry about like memorizing any scripture or tucking the scriptures away in your heart because if you go through a difficult time, God will just miraculously give you the words to speak. That's ridiculous. I'm not saying God can't do that. He absolutely could. I could start babbling things straight from the scriptures in Hebrew that I don't know how to speak if God so willed it. So of course that could happen. But that doesn't mean we don't study the scriptures to show ourselves approved. It doesn't mean that we don't tuck those things away so that when we are in the difficult position, maybe that's how God brings those things up in us because it already resides in us. The word of God is dwelling in us richly. Paul tells young Timothy, study to show yourself approved. Understand and be able to teach these things. I believe this is simply a promise to God's children that when they do endure those times that his spirit will be with them. So don't read that and just think like, oh, I don't need to worry about it. God will give me the magic words. He could, but I don't think that's how God usually works. He honors those that have honored him and he gives them the words that they need. And again, the Holy Spirit could do it, absolutely. But we should study the word of God. He wants us to know his word, to tuck it away into ourselves. He goes from that into this incredibly intense section, verses 21 through 23, where he, he talks about brothers delivering one another over to death, and a father, his child, and the children, their parents, and that they will be hated by people because of his name. He wants us to understand, as difficult as it is, that if you follow him completely and totally, if you follow the truth, the way, the truth, and life, there will be division even amongst your own family. And maybe many of you have dealt with this in your life. I have. Are you the weirdo in your family like me? And people are like, oh, watch out for that guy. He's always trying to talk about Jesus, right? Like, that's going to happen. And in their world, it could literally cause death because if you come out and say, I'm a Christian, and your whole family says, like, no, that's not okay, and you could be put to death for that. It's still going on around the world in different places. And the truth is that some people really struggle with this idea as they come to follow Jesus. We need to understand that following Jesus, I know this is a difficult message this morning. You're starting it out, nice, beautiful Sunday morning. You're like, I just wanted the pastor to say, Jesus loves you, this I know. Yes, that's true. But there are difficult things for us to grasp onto. And one of these things is that following Jesus is not a hobby. It's not one aspect of your life amongst 25 other aspects of who you are. It's not a simple philosophy that you just kind of say, I'm a stoic. No, following Jesus means you build everything on your life on that foundation of who he is. And it is going to cause division at times when people who live for the world, 
if you're saying, I don't live for the world, I live for Christ. It has to be the driving factor of our lives. Serving him and serving his kingdom. And I think if we put a list of things together that are difficult for us when Jesus says them, I think this would be way up high on the list, this idea that it can cause division even amongst our own family. And I would argue it's probably even more difficult for them at the time because we live in a world of individualism. We're like, you are your own person. But for them, they weren't. They existed within their family unit. You're not an individual. You are a part of a family. The most important thing about you was not, hey, what do you do for a living? It was, hey, who's your father? Who are your brothers and sisters? That was the defining factor for them socially. And so if they say, I have been cast out of my family because of this, it is social suicide to do that. To be kicked out and isolated from your family was a devastating blow. They lost their identity. They could lose their careers because their family has for generations been in the same career and suddenly they can't be a part of that family business anymore. They lose their place in society and all of that, they say, it is worth it for the sake of following Jesus. And yet Jesus says at the end of that, the one who endures through all of it will be saved. He doesn't leave us in that lurch. He says, I will be with you in the midst of all of it. In verse 24 and 25, I want to read again because it's, it's interesting to me. I think this one's a little hard to grasp onto until, until you really wrap your head around it. But it says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? This answers a question that we might wonder to ourselves. Why are the apostles going to be persecuted? Why are they going to endure this? And the answer is simply, why would they be treated better than he was? They're his followers. And he's persecuted, and the world hates him, and the world looks at him and says, you're lying. They call him Beelzebul, which is a false god or even representative of Satan himself. And they say, you're the, you're the devil. If he's the devil and they're his followers, why would they treat them better than they treat Jesus? So there's this whole other thing. We are aligning ourselves with Jesus, even when the world might say, that's the devil. That's a difficult place to be. He's rejected by the world. And we can still see this today, the vehement disdain that the world has today for the name of Jesus. So why would we expect to be treated differently than he was? You can go out into the world right now, and people can talk about whatever God they want. They can talk about whatever deity they choose, and everyone's like, that's great, coexist, woohoo. But as soon as you say, I love Jesus, like, ah, you're a closed-minded bigot. There's a vehement disdain for the name of Christ. And so if we're his followers, we will follow in that struggle. But our goal, listen, our goal is not to be adored by the world. 
Matthew says here, our goal, verse 24, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. That's our goal. To be more like Jesus. To follow in his path. That should be our pursuit. Paul talks about this throughout his letters. Our purpose as followers of Jesus is to be more and more sanctified, meaning we become more like him and to be increasingly conformed to his image, to be more like Jesus. So everything that we've talked about so far, I know, heavy, it's the warning. He sends them out into the world with this warning. You will be sheep amongst wolves. There will be persecution. There will be pain. You will endure some things. And we don't even understand this, really, as like an American church. We, like, again, I make this joke all the time, but we're like, oh, Starbucks won't put Merry Christmas on my cup. Like, that's not persecution. Okay? People are being murdered today. More people have died in the 20th and 21st century for the name of Christ than all of history put together. Do you understand that? It is really happening. There's persecution in the world. That's the warning. But then, Jesus gives us a command to go with that warning. And it's a command that we hear all the time. But it's always a command that we're like, really? Matthew 20, 10, 26 through 31. So have no fear of them. This is one of the over 300 times in the Bible it says, don't live your life in fear. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You should say that when somebody's feeling down about themselves. Like, you are of more value than many sparrows. Right? We come back to this command again and again. Do not fear. Which seems funny in this context to me. Because, like, Jesus just gave us, like, multiple paragraphs on why we should be terrified. Like, it's going to be difficult. You're going to go through hard times. They might whip you. They might flog you. They might kill you. But then he gets to this part, and one of the best like lines, he's like, don't fear them. All they can do is kill your body. That's what I'm afraid of, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the problem. He says, ah, all they can do is kill your body. They can't kill your soul. Be afraid of God if you're going to be afraid. Be afraid of the one who can take your body and soul. If you want to live in fear, fear the good and holy God. Not these men. All they can do is take your body. So why? Why should they not be afraid? And Jesus tells them, nothing is going to remain hidden. Everything is going to come into the light. All truth is going to be revealed. Everything that they are going to be doing all of their sacrifices, everything that they're doing for the kingdom, all of it is going to ring forth in eternity. It's going to have purpose and meaning. They're going to serve the kingdom of God, which is eternal. 
And again, we have, so, we have such a hard time viewing this, this life for what it is, which is just finite. And he says, are you going to live this life for the, for the 70 years that you're here, the 80 years? Or are you going to live for eternity? What's actually important? And he says, you're more valuable than even the sparrows, which is so funny. Like, like how do you quantify that? He says, two sparrows for a penny? You're, you're worth lots of sparrows. All right, I tell my, my daughters all the time, hopefully this thing, I'm like, man, some guy's going to have to give me a lot of sheep for you. Right? One time I accidentally said goats, and I was like, wait, how come she gets sheep and I get goats? I was like, I meant sheep, sorry. People that endure suffering, listen, I love this because he says, you are valuable to me. Because it would be easy to look at this section and just be like, we're just like an army that God, we're disposable, right? Like, no, he says, no, you are valuable to me. You're worth many sparrows, right? Because it is so easy for people to, to forget their place in God to forget that they are an image bearer of God and people can fall into depression and anxiety and, and just get lost in the pain of life. And we need to remind ourselves again and again that Jesus always says, you have value to me. You are my child. You are my brother, my sister in the kingdom. He says, you are valuable. Verse 32 and 33 are key. So everyone who acknowledges me before men I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now thankfully, if you deny Christ, you always have another opportunity to not deny him. Look at Peter, right? Three times he denies, and yet he still comes back and Jesus says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He comes back to him. A public declaration of our commitment to Jesus is important. We have to publicly declare our faith. The apostles can't just go out and declare the message of the gospel. They can't go out with the power of God if they refuse to even publicly declare where their allegiance lies. Who they are a follower of. And the same is true for us today. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to be saved by Jesus, if you want to be a part of building the kingdom of God, if you want to be a part of this work that he's doing in the world, then you must be open about being his follower. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. Unless it's for a brief amount of time, like I'm going to sneak in behind these communists, like you can do that. But at some point, you have to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. This is why I'm here. Jesus says, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. That should get your attention. There is something about a public declaration of faith that is very important to Jesus. He calls us to do that, to stand up and say, I will follow Jesus, to go in front of a group of people and to be baptized in water and to come up and say, I'm devoting my life to Christ. And I think it's not for him, it's for us. God is not self-conscious. He knows what's in your heart. But until you are willing to go up in front of people and say, this is who I am, then it's just too easy to just kind of shrink back again and again.
As if Jesus hasn't already said some pretty radical stuff here. Just wait. Verse 32 through 39, he says something truly radical. Do not think I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not really that. I mean, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) Terrible joke, I'm sorry. Verse 36, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now this is fascinating. Because if you read through Matthew and the Gospels up to this point, it's pretty clear that Jesus is bringing a message of peace. Right? You read through that whole Sermon on the Mount that we read through, and he's talking about being poor in spirit and being meek and merciful and all these things. And then here he says, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. So how does that work together? I think we can understand this because back in the Sermon on the Mount and in many other places, Jesus is describing the lives that we are to live in this world amongst the people of earth, so to speak. As a part of this world, in this kingdom, we should strive to live at peace with everyone as much as we can, as much as it is up to us. But in this section, Jesus is not talking about the kingdom of earth. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He's talking about us aligning ourselves to be his followers and what that can possibly mean amongst people even as close as your brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. There will be those who declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and God and they will acknowledge him before the world and they will live under his lordship and then there will be those who deny Christ who do not believe what he says or who he says he is. They will not acknowledge his authority, and ultimately they will reject him and the gift of salvation that he comes to bring. And when it comes to those two divisions, Jesus says, I come to bring a sword. Right? Hebrews speaks to this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. The word of God is this sword that comes in and separates. And I don't want to skip over this and act like it's not a big deal because it's a very very difficult thing for a lot of people. That even within our own households, that we can see the division that Jesus causes. And even that feels weird to say, right? Jesus causing division. We don't like that, but he does. He's a stumbling block to those who deny him. And he's a savior to those who follow him. 
And so there's going to be struggles, persecutions, and even division amongst your own family. And yet he says, but if any of those things are more important to you, then you're not worthy of me. It's another tough thing to hear. I struggled with this, I would say, for a long time when my children were really young. I would, I would struggle with this because I would say, God, if you ever took my children away from me, I don't know if I could ever, I don't know if I could continue to serve you. Just in the, in the honest moments in my prayer closet, so to speak, I, I would have these conversations where, God, if, if I endured the loss of my wife or my children, I, I just don't know if I could ever do it again. I remember talking to my wife who has amazing wisdom and asking her about that, and she just said, where would I go? To what would I cling? If I've lost you or lost one of my kids, like, what do I cling on to? All I have left is God. Because it's not God, it's this world that we live in. It's the brokenness, it's the sin. So where else would I cling? And I don't know if you've ever felt this. I know you have. I, sh- I shouldn't say I don't know. I know a lot of you. I know that you have children who are not walking with God right now. I know that you have parents who aren't walking with God. I know that brothers and sisters, and this is a struggle for you because you long in the, in the shplognon, you long for them to know Jesus and to know his grace and mercy. So you pray for them. That's all you can do. This is part of the suffering of this world that he tells us we will endure. And it's one of the most difficult parts. And he tells us, you have to serve me above all those things. And again, that's not for him. He's not self-conscious. It's for us. Because if we're not serving him, if we're taking our eyes off of him, if we're so worried about all those other things, then we lose ourselves and we lose God. He says, you have to keep focused. And he says, you have to Take up your cross and follow me, which is a wild thing to say. We don't get this because we're, we're reading this from way on the other side of the story. But Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet in this story. He's still alive, and he says, you need to take up your cross. So they're listening to him talk, and all of a sudden he starts talking about torture devices and murder. Like, that's literally what happens. He's just like, you got to pick up a torture device and murder yourself to follow. What? What are you talking about? Because they don't, they don't know the story yet. He says, you have to take up your cross, your burden, death to yourself, death to many things in this world, and follow me. He says, following me means death to yourself, death to the things of this world. Because if you want a new life in Jesus, if you want to be born again, if you want to be like Nicodemus, and be born again, then you must understand that that means, to be born again means that a death needs to take place first. And that death is death to sin, death to this world, death to maybe even some dreams that you had in this world that God says, I have so much more for you. You don't even know. Jesus finishes Matthew 10 in his discourse with a promise. It's a beautiful promise, he says in verse 40. 
Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Jesus has told his disciples, who are now apostles, everything that's coming up in front of them. He told them it's going to be difficult. He says, I'm sending you out like wolves among sheep. He says, you might get whipped, you might get dragged to court, you'll be hated, you might be turned against even by your own family. You need to die to yourself. That physical death is even a possibility in all this. And there's a part of me that thinks any sane person right here says, I'm out. If you remember John 6, 66, there's this moment where Jesus starts talking about, you need to eat my body and drink my blood. And a bunch of people are like, what? And they leave because they don't understand. And this could easily be one of those moments where they hear all these things and they say, that, that sounds terrible. I want to sign up for the richly blessed package you know, like the name it and claim it in the name of Jesus package. Can I get that one? Not this whole like whipped and flogged and pain and suffer. Like, I don't like that package. And maybe they would say, I'm out except for this. Here's the problem. They've seen the power of God. They've seen what Jesus can do. They've seen what Jesus has done in them bringing them from just being fishermen or tax collectors to being men who have a purpose in the kingdom of God, to build the kingdom of God amongst the earth. They have seen the power of God. And so even when they are faced with all of these things, these very real difficulties and problems and persecutions, they still can't walk away because they say, where would I go? I've seen behind the curtain. I know too much. I can't just go back and go fishing. I can't just go back and do what I used to do. Even if there's pain in front of me, even if there's difficulty, I know that the reward is far greater. And I know that for the first time in my life, I feel like God is using me to do something amazing in this world. They know that the world cannot possibly offer them anything in light of what Jesus has already shown them. And they know deep to their core that even if it means walking right into persecution and pain, that following him is what they have to do. And Jesus sends them out this final promise, showing how much he loves and cares for them, saying that anybody who blesses them, they're blessing Jesus himself. He sends them out literally as his ambassadors. You represent me, and any blessing that people give you, they are giving a blessing to me. This section of the gospel story is in so many ways very, very challenging. Again, if this is your first time in our church, welcome. (laughs) Jesus did not intend for his followers, listen, 
to live safe little Christian bubble lives. That's not to say that we, don't, that we intentionally launch ourselves into danger. Remember he said, be wise as the serpent. He says in another place to the disciples, he says, when you're mistreated in this city, shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere else. He's not saying intentionally throw yourself into pain and anguish. But he's saying it's going to come. And there's going to be many times in our lives today where Jesus, if we're following him, if we're seeking him, if we're building his kingdom, he's going to send us right into the world where we will endure persecution, where we will be sheep amongst wolves. And it doesn't matter if you're doing that in your professional job here in Bozeman, Montana, or if you receive a call from God to go to the ends of the earth and, and be missionaries to people who have never heard the gospel, there are dangers associated but he always sends us out with this promise that he is with us, that he has gone before us, and that he is interceding for us to his Father. And we know that what Paul wrote to the Romans is true. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us, to us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these difficult words. I really do, because as hard as they are to hear, Lord, they are reality. And you don't sugarcoat it. You tell us that if we want to live a life of purpose and meaning and kingdom building, that there will be times that that is difficult. Lord, and I pray for every one of us when there are times where we just want to say, I don't like that package. No, thank you that we would realize that it is the most valuable thing that we can possibly do with these years that we have on earth. God, would you help us to find amazing joy in our lives when things are going well and when we are blessed and we are feeling just blessed and highly favored. Praise you, Lord, for those times of blessing. But help us also when we endure the trials and the pain or maybe the relationships that are causing us to to long in our heart for reconciliation. God, would you even give us peace in those times? Peace that transcends our understanding. Lord, help us to, in the words of my friend, suffer well when we need to. But not to seek it out, but to just seek out what you would do with our lives. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would help every one of us to place you where you need to be at the firm foundation of our entire lives. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said.